Hello, and welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. This is Ryan. I just wanted to let you know that this is a bonus episode. Uh, We actually posted the main episode of the week already. That's episode 60, where we finished up Mary Vincent's story. So we have two episodes for you this week because of some scheduling issues that came up. But this bonus episode is a chat we had with Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. You probably already know Kate, but if somehow you don't, we hope you enjoy getting to know her here. Her podcast is called Ignorance Was Bliss, and it's linked in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you guys all so much for listening every week. We really appreciate you guys. Um, But now, here's our conversation with Kate. Pretty good. Yeah. We're happy that it's finally starting to be spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It snowed this morning, though, so. Yeah. No. But it stopped yeah. pretty pretty quick, so. How are you? I'm hanging in. Hanging in. This time of year just, it kind of blows me out of the water every time, and I hate that. You know, it's just one of these, like, it's predictable, and I can't do a thing about it, and those that combination just pisses me off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I spent from March 8th to March 17th. 2010 in a coma and every year it just comes back and hits me oh and so yeah it's just it's just stupid you know because it's like i know better i know it's not a big deal i know i'm fine but still you mean like like it all comes back to you this time of year because this was around. i have tremendous survivor guilt Mm. um based on the just the statistics of who survives what i went through Oh, what are the and statistics? So, there's 4 million births in the U.S. every year. Of those, about 100 get sick the way that I did. Whoa. Of that 100, 98 die. Whoa. Yeah, one loses all four limbs, and one walks away. <sighs> wow. Wow. You are one in 4 million, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it just, it bothers me because, you know, you get that whole why me thing and that existential angst and it's just, yeah. it's all stupid. Well, there's a lot of people that are glad that you're still around. No, I, I appreciate that. I do. It's just one of those, like, I feel, I feel guilty for feeling bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Em- emotions are stupid. So, I, you know, it's not that I snap out of it on the 17th. It's more just that there becomes this awareness like, okay, I woke up. What are we going to do with it now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, so you're having, you're doing a live stream again tonight. Yeah, Facebook live thing. I'm basically going to tell the story of how I got sick because I, I just, I want people to understand like why it is I can't just snap out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and what it is that I'm dealing with because I feel bad. Like I, I, I know people want me to be happy, and I appreciate that so much. And so I kind of want to explain like here's why I can't just snap out of it, but I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really important aspect to have because we talk about a lot. There's always people that seem to want to tell you how you should feel, mm-hmm. but there's always things about an individual that they don't understand. 
Hey, so you did you did a great job on the peripheral, by the way. I just listened to that like a couple weeks ago. It was very nice. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, and poor Justin. He breaks my heart now. He's in a he's having a really really rough time. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, that's. I feel really um, bad for him too. So I, I love that podcast. Yeah, I, you know, same. And so I'm hoping he can rebound, but he's just in a really dark way right now, and I hate that. I know. He's another one like you. He's inspired us so much, and, I mean, we owe a lot of where we are now to him as well. And yeah, it's Oh, he's a sweetheart, bummer. and yeah, he's he... really helpful. He's really good. But that's the thing. You know, I find a lot of, like, there's a handful of people online, um... Chris from Play Comics and Megan from Oh No Lit Class, Derek from Rolling Misadventures now, he, he ended his other show, Paul from Varmints, Courtney from Cult of Domesticity. Like there's this list of people that are the sweetest people. They're just, they're so, you know, sort of supportive and helpful and they're just the best people I know and they just won't believe me. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just like, oh no, no, I'm not that, no, I'm not, you know, and, and I... <laughs> I understand where that comes from, but it breaks my heart. Interesting. I don't know what that's about. I, I, you know, I kind of do. I kind of, I think that empathy comes from taking on other people's, not pain, but, but struggles. And in order to do that, you have to sort of weigh yourself as, you have to put them up higher than you, like make them more important than you so that you can Mm -hmm. pay attention and absorb the shit that they're going through. Then there's this tendency to stay weighed down. I never thought of it like that before, but it does make sense. I feel like the same way about that because there's always people commenting about us being like really sweet and stuff. But then, oh my god, when we you guys are the at- cutest ever! I adore you guys. <laughs> oh, thank you, but, but like when we we know ourselves on the inside and we know ourselves a lot better than anyone can from just listening to our show, and it's like we don't feel like we deserve. <laughs> no, like we deserve feel- all those comments. <laughs> it's the same thing. I think if you spend time, you know, I mean, whether it's people you know or whether it's your show, if you spend time absorbing somebody else's struggle, like I said, I think it weighs you down. I think it, mm-hmm. like, I suck at taking compliments. I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've kind of so noticed you, that. I, but I think that that's a thing, and I don't know why, with. Like the difficulty absorbing compliments and the difficulty, and but I, I, my best guess is that it's because empathy makes you either approach the person like true empathy makes you either approach the person like as an equal or put them a little bit above you. I never thought of it that way before. To me personally, I think that's a really good quality, you know. To mm-hmm. oh, I mean, I think it's one of the the most important things that a human can do and it's the hardest i mean you don't see it a lot in the real world Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of people out there that you compliment them and they're like yeah i know they just (laughs) take it and they're like i know i'm really cool and no one wants to be around those people (laughs) and i think it's important to know your strengths you know what i mean like I, i i recognize that i'm good talking with people i recognize that i have sometimes too much empathy because I take it with me and I carry, you know, and I, I Mm -hmm. hold it. Mm -hmm. I still carry scars from, I mean, 10 years ago with people I saw in the ER or whatever. So I recognize that as a strong quality of mine. The fact that I can, I can do it and continue doing it. 
So I think that's important. You know, I, my daughter is this amazing artist and she knows mm-hmm. that this is her strength. And she knows, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's well, like a lot of us struggle with like, oh, I, it's like the humble brag fear or, or like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's not. It's like what you're saying in your it. last episode about, well, it kind of relates about being an artist and. That doesn't mean you're a specific type of person. It just means you're an artist. Right. But but own it like that you are. Own that you have strengths in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because how can you get really good at something if you don't you know, realize that you're, you've reached a certain point and you can keep improving on that? Right. Exactly. And, 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 and I think it's super important to know that, like, this is my strength. I'm good at this. I'm good at this thing. And that way you can strengthen it you know you know what i mean like yeah. you can focus on that and and you can, and, and you can let other stuff go mm-hmm. and people struggle with that like okay ryan what are you good at um music <laughs> <laughs> i guess uh well i'd like to think i'm good at thinking about how my actions and words will affect other people before i do it you know rosie what are you good at <laughs> what am i good at <laughs> I guess that is hard to answer when you're, you're put good on the at, spot. Okay, Rosie's good at being honest. That's what I... <laughs> mm-hmm. No matter say. how brutal. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be yeah, honest. I, mean, just, I am. Yeah, I mean, and those are really important things. Go, go. Sorry, I, I didn't realize you had more things. Go, no, go. I'm just saying open book syndrome. That's what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't hide my emotions, and I'll let you know what they are <laughs> at the time. That's what I've got. And that's a skill. You know, that's... That's an important thing. And I, okay, so Ryan, what are you bad at? Um, I'm bad at reciprocating. <laughs> we were just talking about this reciprocating when people ask me a question. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'll just answer it and then I'll just sit there, like, la da da, instead of you reciprocating. Asked Kate how she was doing, and that was very proud I, of you. Yeah, I, I had to go out of, I had to actively think about, like, oh, I should ask Kate how she's doing because she asked me. I don't know if I have like mild autism or something, but no, it's such a guy thing. Oh my god! (laughs) Okay, I have a bunch. It is. I have. I have several. You know, I have a bunch of friends online, and you know, I'll check in in the morning. Hey, how's it going? And the women will tell me how they're doing, and then they'll ask me, "How are you doing?" And the guys will be like, "I'm good." (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that makes me feel better to know I'm not the only one. Yeah, and I mean, they, I, I've asked them, like, what is your problem? And they'll say, like, oh, I just assume. I assume <laughs> that if you ask me, that then you'll tell me the answer. I'm like, no. <laughs> I assume that you'll ask if you want to know. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm working on that. Rosie, Rosie what are you bad at? Um, I'm bad. Well, there's a lot of things I'm bad at. I'm bad at being. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Being you see what I'm saying? We're so good at finding the things we're bad at, and we yeah. can't answer. What are you good at? I <laughs> yeah. hate that about humans. Humans are so stupid. <laughs> like we all are. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I wow. do the same thing. Like if you ask me what I'm good at, I'm like I got seven things right now, but I won't say them. And if you ask me what I'm bad at, I'm like I got a hundred things, and I'm going to say them all right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is this is really interesting though, because. A year ago, when we first started our podcast, and you're going to hate this because there's a compliment coming, but (laughs) when we first started our podcast, I was not good at looking at myself and identifying things 
you know, that I could do better at. And, and then I don't know, part of being part of this community and seeing all these different perspectives and thanks to hearing your show and how you looked at, at crimes and both sides of it. And how did this criminal get to a place where they could do this and stuff like that? It made me a lot more observant, I would say, and able to look at myself and kind of identify things that I need to work on. So, I mean, I've grown a lot just in this past year and a lot of it is thanks to people like you, you know? So, cause I don't know if I would have been able to answer the question you asked me a year ago. Yeah. Personal growth for sure. But sorry for the compliment. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. No, I mean, but I, but I get like, that's why I'm still doing it is I recognize that I can, I've said it before that the upside, it's not even an upside. It's like the sort of big friggin' deal of, of having a show is that I, I started it cause I had things to say, but it turned around and sort of saved my life. Yeah. A, you know, and I, I still feel like over dramatic when I say that, but I think it's accurate. Like mm-hmm. I was losing myself. I was losing I had lost any sense of uh, usefulness or productivity, competency, like all of those things. Like I didn't feel like I was contributing to the world anymore. And I had come to terms with that. Like if that's the best I ever got, okay. Hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had created children. I was raising them. They were doing okay. And if that was the best I ever did, okay. You know, and, and so starting the podcast, it was like at first it was just because I had things to say. And then I started connecting with people, mm-hmm. you know, and and I have... I don't know, 50 names on my whiteboard, you know, <laughs> wow. of people I have talked to or will talk to or want to or whatever. And yeah. that's all this feeling of connection. And I have received emails and texts or whatever DMS from people that are not unsolicited dick pics that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that are like, you know, the way you said this changed things, you know, helped me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or whatever, because I recognize that I look at things in a fucked up way. Like that's yeah one of my skills. <laughs> if you tell me A or B, I'm gonna find a C. Like that's my thing. Yeah, that's so interesting though because you've been through so much stuff before you started the podcast and even since you started the podcast. But just listen to your podcast, you're a rock star, and no one would ever realize, you know, all the personal struggles and health issues and stuff that mm-hmm. you're dealing with because. You in your show you come across as such a rock star. I, like, <laughs> I know how to fake it. Yeah, yeah. The hardest thing about going on disability is that I know how to fake it, and I faked it for a long time. And you know, I was in chronic pain, and I was increasingly struggling with that, like just just not doing well, not coping well with it. And I could not find medications that worked because if I had meds that addressed the pain I was too stoned basically to go to work Hmm. you know what I mean like I was not I was not functioning well at work and so I had to choose do I want pain or do I want functionality and so that was bad and then I broke my back and that threw you know that was the sort Mm -hmm. of straw for my camel Mm. and choosing that choosing to say like I can't fake this anymore that was hard because I'm that's one of my like if you call me in the middle of the night I will answer the phone like I've been awake the whole time (laughs) Really? That's interesting. Wow. Huh. That's a unique yeah, I skill. I know how to be like, here we are. You know, I'm good. Like, I know how to fake like everything's okay. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah. 
Plus, things are okay. When I'm interviewing, when I'm talking, things are okay. This is my zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we finally are starting to feel like our podcast is our zone now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You talk to so many people and generate conversation, but like we could never do that unless we had something to talk about, you know? It's true. We like, like we do interviews with people, but they kind of already have a story to tell that we can piggyback off of. But if we were just having a random conversation like this day after day when we're recording, it would just be like, what do we talk about? Cats. It would just so, be cats. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I have cats. It's fine. Talk, talk to me about podcasting for you. Like, what have you, what has it done for you? Well, it's given me a lot of. Uh, kind of like clarity in a way. I don't know. It's been so cool to actually get a response back from listeners. Like we've gotten emails and messages like saying how our show matters and that they appreciated my personal story. And, it, you know, it was like um, scary starting it up. But now I kind of feel like we're getting in the groove. And we've, I don't know. I just feel so much better about doing it in general. Like, that we're actually making somewhat of a difference. So yeah, been... we've definitely both built up a lot of confidence since we started. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, this is worth it. <laughs> I don't know. It definitely needed like the boost of our listeners to email us to make us feel more secure. I think. I think <laughs> that our podcast has brought us closer together as a couple too, an old married couple. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we definitely communicate a lot more because we're kind of forced to talk together for an hour each week. So it's like (laughs) if if we're going through a rut, we're still (laughs) forced to talk together and it helps us communicate. Well, we have to talk about our cases before and after, too. So I don't know. It's just been nice. How long have you guys been married? It'll be six years in June. So you're 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 getting there to the point where it's no longer newlyweds. It's cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you guys are f-ing adorable. I just uh-huh. do. I just, I'm allowed to say that because I'm old. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that we're doing it together, and it's cool to see you and Willem too. Like him being so supportive of you and helping you with the live streams and all the different projects you do, and like it's really cool to do it as a couple because. We can do it from the comfort of our own home pretty much any time we're free. And And I found that our listeners like it, that they've commented about us being a couple. So that's been cool. You gotta. Do you, you, I mean, two two things. One is that, yeah, Willem's been great. Like when I started it up, he was like, look, I can't, I can't sign on. You know, for the for the time commitment, and we didn't have any idea the time commitment. Like, <laughs> we thought it would be a couple hours a week, right? Oh yeah. You know, and so that was a surprise. But he was like, even if it's that, like he he's a professor and a dean. Like he can't, he just can't carve out the time. Plus four kids, and so mm-hmm. he's taken on way more of the parenting when he's home because we we basically hand off. Like we have less less time together because when he's home i'm like okay see i'm going to the basement Mm -hmm. because i can't i can't record when the kids are home Mm -hmm. you know when i'm home alone with the kids so that has been a thing and um that makes all the difference just to have the family behind me like the kids get what i'm doing and everybody's been great so that's priceless like there's no way i could do it without family support Mm -hmm. yeah that reminds me of an interview i heard with Minds of Madness, it was from a long time ago, but 
they were talking about how that was kind of like Tyler's routine is he would get home from work and then he'd go downstairs and research. And at the same time, it was helping their relationship because he was doing something that made him happy, you know, and was making him more decent to be around. (laughs) Yeah, no, it totally is me feeling more like a human being again Mm -hmm. has helped our relationship. And, you know, and we, because I'm busy with this and he's busy with work, we schedule date nights Mm. now, which we Mm -hmm. hadn't done. I mean, in, ever probably <laughs> and we've been married 18 years so to to start date nights now is it's cute it is cute yeah I will, yeah i really acknowledge um, that i was gonna ask you guys you're basically this is a job it's at least mm-hmm. part-time mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. working together do you do you have like a work relationship and a and an us relationship or does it all bleed together to me it bleeds together what about you ryan yeah, I'd say it's all just part of our normal relationship because, yeah. like, I don't know. It's I have fun writing because even though I was terrible at school, like, writing was always the, one of the things I was good at. So I do all the research mostly and the writing. Rosie does the odd episode now and then, but, like, I, know, I it's just... Way more Ryan than me. He's I like have the backbone of our podcast. It's probably, like... A terrible thing to have sometimes, but I can't just sit and enjoy myself very often without thinking about work that I could be doing. And like, Jesus Christ, I'm married to you. That's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, Rosie, but <laughs> well, I have the opposite. I have this terrible curse where I love to relax and enjoy myself. <laughs> I'm <to>. saying, <laughs> so. I'm I'm envious of that because like every time we sit down to relax and like watch a movie, I'm always like. Oh man, I could be getting ahead on research mm-hmm. for the podcast or editing or something like that. And like, I just have this need to constantly be working on something that something that'll last. And I guess it's helped with keeping the podcast consistent. But oh, it totally has. At the same time, it really adds to my anxiety levels. It works with your work schedule too, for you to be yeah more of a writer and stuff too. Yeah, but. Back to the original question, like, I, th- <laughs> yeah. I feel like our relationship really, like, the podcast is just a part of it, and mm-hmm. we sh- probably should view it more as a business, but at this point, we view it more as just, like, we're trying to get our message out there and just help other people to see viewpoints they might not have thought about before, or encourage other people that are struggling with holding stuff inside to feel like they can speak up and and get their things that are tormenting them out without feeling ashamed so mm-hmm. well we're gonna this... start oh go ahead no you go ahead i've been talking well, I was gonna a lot. say i know you're chatting up this whole thing um <laughs> i was just gonna say that we're going to start talking about the grooming process and how you can tell if you're being groomed or not and like if you i don't know i want to talk about what sexual abuse is and how even though it has the word abuse tied to it when you're a kid it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being hurt like things feel good and i want to talk about how people are so criticizing about how why didn't you say you were being touched or why didn't you say this or that but it was like 
you know, at the time you don't think of it as abuse. It, it ties with the whole Michael Jackson well, case. and. Well, yeah, super, you were inspired by Oprah yeah. commenting on the Living Neverland. Yeah, I'd, Oprah, I love Oprah. She just did this huge thing about it and ranting now, but that's what I want to start doing in our pod. Is like warning signs, what you can do, how to know if you were abused. I don't know. Well, and I think yeah, yeah, your passion behind that is, I mean, I do a lot of the legwork. I guess I'm naturally empathetic and just want to help people, you know, with whatever I can. But and I also have the drive to want to create. But if not for Rosie and her personal experiences and her drive to you know, behind this topic, I would have never started a podcast like this. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You were never into the true crime until I showed you Jen Wong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all their fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, I think what you're talking about is a, you know, you're you're talking about a deeper dive than I do in an episode, but that concept of, normalizing when people say why doesn't somebody report like that's the kind of question that i think needs to be answered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even like people are so concerned about was there penetration or like what exactly physically happened when it's more about like the emotional manipulation and seduction of children and their ability to just like keep everything inside because of the threats and their being ashamed when it's you know it's so much more about than just physical contact with people well yeah and like they said on the oprah episode they don't kids don't have the language to be able to tell anyone else what's going on when they're that young but it leads to a lot of issues in the future that if it doesn't get dealt with because they finally start to understand what happened to them and then it's like oh Mm -hmm. this was really messed up yeah, and that goes up to being teenagers, too. You know, it just, I, all the psychology behind sexual abuse intrigues me, and I want to get more of that on our show eventually. Yeah, I, th- I think it's super important because, yeah, you get a lot of sort of victim blaming. Why didn't they tell? Why mm-hmm. didn't they report? And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> they couldn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, they just, they didn't have the tools. They didn't have, you know, and so my, one of my, my master's thesis was about, um, sexual re- sex offender registries mm-hmm. and how basically they're stupid. <laughs> that oh, I'm curious they, about this. They create a false sense of safety for one, mm. because if you, there are people who will literally do a, a search on, you know, the local sex offender registry in order to decide where they're going to live. And they'll hmm. choose a neighborhood that doesn't have people popping up. <laughs> right, and it damages people who are registered sex offenders because you have to report in a public way. Like I, it's I'm fine with police knowing where they are. Like that's mm-hmm. if they got to know, they got to know. Like law enforcement's got to do what it does, and I don't have any real opinions on that because the the law enforcement system is so fraught right now. You know, there's just mm-hmm. there's so much going on there that I don't even want to touch it. <laughs> but. As far as, you know, sort of normal people, for whatever that means, that, for one, you, you, you get this false sense of safety because you think, oh, there's no one in my neighborhood. And meanwhile, I mean, who do you have sex with? 
don't yeah i know who you guys have sex with i hope i know who you guys have sex with (laughs) you know is the people that you're closest to Mm -hmm. you know and the people that you see every day or you know often the people that you engage with and you you get to know because attraction is easy you know Mm -hmm. you can be attracted to anybody russell crowe is hot right but (laughs) i'm not gonna have sex with russell crowe Right. I mean, I'm not. It's a thing. I'm not. Although he's on my list, so I could. If he showed up at my door, I'd be allowed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We have those lists, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going to ask. You know I'm going to ask. <laughs> but <laughs> I had to see mine on, Mike. You can see yours. But I. so who do you actually have sex with are, are people that you are both attracted to and have access to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always going to be rape. There's always going to be stranger crime. Like that's going to happen. And that's why police should have some, I think the registries are a little too broad right now, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Like how you can be on it for peeing in public. Right. 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 Exactly. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And so let's narrow it down a little bit maybe, but ultimately like if police have to have that, police can have that. Okay. But parents will look at those lists and think, I'm fine. It's cool. There's no, reg- you know, there's no sex offenders in my neighborhood. Go ahead, kiddo. Go hang out with your Boy Scout leader, your uncle, your mm-hmm. priest, you know, yeah. your neighbor, right? The friendly Mr. Jones that's next door that always has cookies. Go ahead. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, you think you're safe because they're not registered. Yeah. Well, that just means they haven't been caught. And right. so. Uh, yeah. Most of it's them are a, practicing in secret. Of course. You know, and and so there's this, the, like, to me, the I want to get rid of those registries, the public ones, altogether. And for one, yes, teach kids how to speak, how to recognize boundaries, and how to speak about them in mm-hmm. clearer ways. And for another, to teach parents what some of the signs are and also how to ask. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like parents don't ask a kid. Hey, when you were over at friendly Mr. Jones's house, did he ask you to drop trow? Like, they don't say things like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's okay to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the more questions you ask, the more comfortable a kid gets in answering. And they understand then that you're engaged and curious. And so they'll tell you when things go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they get used to that, having that open communication and feeling comfortable talking to their parents about stuff. I don't want to throw my parents under the bus because they did a lot of things right, but I wasn't really ever comfortable with talking to them about personal stuff because there was always that fear of shame. I mean, we talk about on the podcast a lot the importance of communication and making your children comfortable with being able Mm -hmm. to open up to you and stuff. And I think that's such an important thing to think about is it's not only asking, but it's also making sure they're in a shame-free, judgment-free zone and that they can open up to you about stuff. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I have, you know, I have a child of abuse in my home. Um, we didn't, she came to us when she was two and the damage had been done. Mm. Wow. You know, and I, we are having to change entirely our definition of what is okay. You know, what is good enough, yeah. what is safe, what the, and, and also having to articulate in a very different way. And I'm finding, like, it's not that hard. It's not that big a deal to articulate things. 
You know, it's it's awkward the first couple of times, but it gets to a point where you can look at a kid and say, like, did you know, are you able to keep your hands to yourself? Did your friends keep their hands to themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, I need you to come straight home. It, it, it is not OK. Like one big thing with kids is that they're taught that it's OK to, to hug people. Mm-hmm. Like anybody, anytime. And we've had to tell our youngest, like, you don't hug anybody outside the house. Huh. Because she has no boundaries, like, uh. at all. And, like, she, she, I've said it before, and it's not, I'm not, like, speaking in hyperbole. If you came to my house, either one of you, and just walked in and looked at her and smiled and held out your hand, she would take your hand and go with you. Oh, well, that's scary. <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh-huh. Like we just took we just took the kids to Florida to Universal and I mean it was constant tag team. Like my my 9-year-old we were like, "Eh, he'll find his way back to us." You know, and and <laughs> and our little one, our 6-year-old, my husband and I were constantly, "Where is she?" eyes mm-hmm. on her at all times. And for a 6-year-old that's that shouldn't really be necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to know where they are within a 10-foot radius, you know, in public, but it should be okay for them to wander off and you call them back. And with, with her, you can't, you can't, Mm. you know, and because as much as we tell her, don't hug people. She, you know, I mean, she's all up in people's grill. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's, that's why child protection laws exist. And because it's really the responsibility falls on the adults because kids don't know if what they're doing is inappropriate at the time and it's such a it's a big responsibility for adults to be able to identify if something is over the line and and stop it or not do it you know yeah it's just perfect illustration of that yeah because if you start hugging people that that's a very easy line into other physical contact and most kids can understand like you know, there's good touch and bad touch, right? Or mm-hmm. a hug is okay, but a pat on the ass is not. Like, <laughs> yeah. most uh-huh. kids are fine with that. She's not. Hmm. She needs very black and white lines, and it has to be no touching at all. Hmm. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, I feel like, look, this is, this is the kind of language you can use in a kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Not everybody's your friend. They use that word friends in a Oh, gag <laughs> reflex. Like, oh my God. Okay, friends, let's go. Like, they're not all friends, and kids need to learn that, like, mm-hmm. not everybody is your friend. And there are some assholes in your kindergarten class, and you need to keep an eye on them because they're <laughs> little sheds. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay to, <laughs> to learn that yeah. instead of this, this false friendship thing, because then what do you do? Yeah. You know, if somebody hurts you, like, my, my kid has engaged in inappropriate touch at school. Um, I mean, it was like her second week in kindergarten that I get a call that she followed another kid into the bathroom and, and locked the stall, uh-huh. you know, and uh-huh. I, 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 a kindergarten should be way older than, <laughs> than that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's things like it's to the point now where the school doesn't even call me every time they just keep a log and they let me know. Oh, wow. Wow. Y- you know, and uh, and so your, your definition of normal changes, but like, that's the thing is like, I recognize the, okay. So the fundamental reason we adopted Danielle instead of letting DCF take her because DCF was, was like literally on my door every day checking in 
because Danielle's biological mother had checked out in many ways. And, um, and it became a case of, look, either you're keeping her or we're taking her. Like, there is no possible way that her biological mother can handle parenthood right now. Yeah. And we already had three kids, and I had a broken back, and I had developed epilepsy. And so there's just a lot going on, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I need this in my life right now. Like, I didn't want a fourth kid. I, had, I, had, I, had, I was done. But who else is going to recognize that something's wrong when a little girl is cute and blonde and smiles a lot, and she's very smart? So people assume that, you know, she's book smart. She's school smart. So she's fine. Mm. and we recognize when she's faking we my husband being an educator and myself being a psychologist it was like well we know how to articulate these things because of training and it's like why are other parents not trained in this Mm -hmm. hand out a pamphlet when the baby's born or when they go to to preschool or kindergarten Mm -hmm. yeah the, I, t- I climbed up on this soapbox and I didn't even realize no, I was doing it. Sorry. No, it's we're. I mean, we're learning. We're completely unqualified because we aren't parents, and mm-hmm. we don't. But that's part of the reason we're so scared to be to have kids is because you don't need any kind of certificate to be able to give birth. You know, you just you just can, and that makes you a parent. And you know, you sometimes they hand you this thing and they're like, "Keep it alive." And you're like, I don't yeah. know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like like you were just saying, parents a lot of parents aren't educated on on how to identify those signs and stuff and mm-hmm. it's it's scary to us because we we just don't want to mess up another person's <laughs> life. I think you said to us a long time ago, if you if you can't imagine life without a child, then that's the only reason you should have a child, you know? <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I totally, I totally believe because we, we're pressured in this culture. When are you going to mm-hmm. have kids? Like first it's when are you going to get married and then it's when you're going to have kids as though, you know, like the uterus is the sole reason to function. And I'm like, eh, right. no, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I just, I hate that so much because I, I don't have a baby just to have a baby just because you want something cute. They, uh-huh. They're not cute. They're not cute. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you stories. Uh, the bodily fluids alone, like, they're not cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It helps me being a nanny for five yeah, years. Yeah, Oh, yeah. You get your <laughs> fill. <my> baby fix. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so it's just this, like, don't, you know, kids, I think on some level will know if they're just created just for the sake of creation. Like, I think they'll figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I I always wanted kids. I I wanted kids from a very young age, and I had them. You know, I had my first at twenty two, and then I knew what I wanted, and it was on purpose, and blah blah. But still, they handed her to me, and they were like, "Take her home." And I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready now. You're gonna let me just walk <laughs> off with this kid? You know, I don't have a license <laughs> for this thing, right? Like, I don't know how to drive it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's funny, but it's also really scary. Yeah. It's terrifying. That's why there are so many stories that to talk about. because people don't know what they're doing when they take kids home. And sometimes they mess up really bad. And I mean, Danielle's biological mother, we knew her very well. She was our nanny. Living. Oh, wow. 
That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a story. I can <laughs> tell you that one. I want to stop babbling, but I'll tell you that one. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I got very, very, very sick after I had Isaac in 2010. And my husband had to go back to work. And I, I was not, I mean, I was on um, home visiting nurse care. Which is basically your insurance company agrees, like, you're too sick to leave the house, <laughs> you know, which is no, no small feat. So I was home um, for nine months after I got out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for six weeks, and then I was home for nine months. And so we had to hire a nanny because I couldn't drive. I couldn't go anywhere. And I couldn't reliably stay awake. Like, I would just mm-hmm. crash. Mm-hmm. And this, this, I mean, I, a woman technically, but this girl, she was like 19, something like that when we hired her, uh, but younger, sort of mm-hmm. developmentally, you know, just very like, oh, she's cute kind of thing. And she okay. called, you know those, you know those really creepy lifelike baby dolls? Yeah. You know, the ones that like wander into the uncanny valley. Baby whisper, <laughs> whatever. Whatever, you know more about than I do already, so I don't want to have this conversation with you anymore. <laughs> oh, baby secret, that's what I'm thinking of. Oh, dear God. It's this yeah. creepy toy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so she had like eight of them what? Uh, you know oh. and, uh, whatever and you know you try not to yuck anybody's yum but i was like uh. <laughs> but whatever she was a good nanny like she got how we parented mm-hmm. and fit in very well and so uh, about a year into the process when my, when my son was about a year old we we got a house that had an in-law apartment and we let her move in so that we were trading rent for childcare. um so you know it was a it was a good setup. Mm-hmm. And then she decided she wanted to get pregnant. And Uh-oh. she's single. She, her boyfriend from high school attended the same college that she quote unquote did. <laughs> she was not a student. I mean, she failed out <laughs> of everything. But he, they attended the same college. And he had a, I don't know if it was girlfriend or if he had actually gotten engaged by that point. But he had a, they broke up. He had a serious new girl. And yet he was totally willing to have booty calls mm. with the nanny because why not? Right. And whatever, again, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum like you do you, but she was deliberately off birth control, you know, and I believe there was some sabotage of other forms of birth control and just Ooh. like, it was to the point where I pulled him aside. I didn't even know him that well. And I pulled him aside and I'm like, listen, here's your come to Jesus talk. Like, don't, keep doing this Mm -hmm. she's trying to get pregnant you will be responsible for this child and he would sort of shrug me off and so she got pregnant on purpose and that was right about the time i was able to go back to work and we bought a house that did not have an in-law apartment on purpose Mm. Mm. and i was like look we no (laughs) this is a lot of no (laughs) Uh like i can't watch this happen i'm watching the train come down the tracks like i can't watch this train wreck happen because she was just not equipped yeah. She'd never held down a job. She had no qualifications for anything. She had no family support. We were it. And, you know, I feel like the story of why she came to us is a different deal. But so, well, okay. So we asked her to move out. We, we, we got this house, whatever. And I didn't hear from her. Um, I got kind of the Disney version. Like, everything's cute. Here's this cute baby. Like, I went and visited her in the hospital the day the baby was born. So I saw. Mm-hmm. Then. But, um... I kept like she got involved with this guy right away um, and moved in with him within like six weeks of the baby's birth. And I was like, that's a little quick. Okay, good. Yeah. Good on you. 
lived with him for 18 months and then moved back in with her toxic family. And that's when alarm bells started going off for me. And um, then she called me just after the baby turned two. Uh, effectively, my my family has disowned me. I lost. <laughs> this is my favorite sentence in the world. I've said it before, and it sounds like a line, <laughs> it sounds like a line in a country song. <laughs> and I can't say it without laughing because it's so bad. It's one of those like you laugh or you scream, right? I've yeah. lost my <laughs> I lost my job at the mayonnaise factory. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 like it's the worst. Didn't see that coming. It's the worst. I'm. I didn't even. I like. I don't know. I guess I thought like mayonnaise just magically appeared in jars. Like I never <laughs> thought of such. A, oh my god! Can you imagine the smell in the summer? Like uh, <laughs> all the vinegar. Oh my god! So she also. Um, she was living in one of those motels that rents like by the hour or the month. You know. Yes. And basically saying, look, I'm suicidal. Will you take the baby while I check into a hospital? And I'm like, you know, of course. And so this is the middle of the night by now that she gets the baby tucked in. So my kids woke up to effectively, here's the sister. Wow. <laughs> right? We find out later. That's quick. It was crazy. But I mean, she, she lived with us for four months. And at the end of that time, she was engaging in really inappropriate behaviors that I was not comfortable with my kids being aware of. Mm -hmm. And so we asked her to move out. And um, two weeks later, she said, I'm not, I mean, in that four months, she lost several jobs. I've never been fired in my life. So the concept was weird to me, but she lost like four jobs and just mm -hmm. refused to work with, like DCF assigned her, here's a therapist, here's a parenting coach, here's a woman whose sole job is to help you find housing. And by the way, here's your DCF caseworker. And she just refused to work with any of them. Wow. And so at the end, it was like, look, you got to move out. You got, I, I can't do this anymore. You can either go with the baby. And I knew DCF was like poised at the door to take the baby if that happened. Or you can go yourself and we'll take care of her until you're ready. And she's like, no, I, I, I'm going to go on my own. And two weeks later, it was, I'm never going to get better. Can you keep her? Mm. Oh, seriously. Oh. And uh, we've, we haven't seen her. Wow. I mean, part wow. of that is because I have, I have a protection order now. But mm. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. Um, but because she couldn't, she couldn't maintain a program. Like my rule was, look, you have to have a job that has actual pay stubs. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, you can't pay with sex. You <laughs> have to have an apartment with your name on the lease. And you have to stop engaging in open sex work around kids. I think that's fair. And yeah. she didn't feel like those were um, rules she could follow. And so really? we've not seen her. Uh, so her priority wasn't the kid. Not at all. Not at all. Well, and, thank um, goodness you were there. I mean... It, yeah. Um, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to say no? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I wish I'd known sooner. We, it turns out that the man she was living with is a, is a, is a sex offender. Oh. Um, he traffics in child porn. Oh, my God. So I know without doubt that my child has been featured in inappropriate both acts and film. 
Um, she's still um, hyperflexible, especially in her hips. Uh, her arm, her, her elbow had been dislocated six times when she came to us what? from being yanked up, like grabbed by the wrist and picked up, you know? Oh, my gosh. Uh, she still recalled, like, she was physically abused by her caregiver during the day. Um, her maternal grandmother was her uh, babysitter, I guess. And remember, she came to us at two, mm-hmm. right? And her up until then, her maternal grandmother would have her during the day when her biological mother was in the mayonnaise factory. And <laughs> she had a, she, there was a whiteboard on her kitchen wall where she kept track of how many times a day she had to hit the child. Oh. What? And, had um, yeah, to? Had to. That was her words to DCF. What? what? Okay. Um, a two-year-old, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, God. and so, and they they talk about, uh, she's the sort of the most profound case of emotional neglect that they've seen. Like, when she came to me, you know, uh, so we got her mother into the hospital the first night, and then the next day, my older three kids go to school, my husband goes to work, and it's just me and this, this baby, this two-year-old, looking at each other like, the f*** just happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting her lunch, you know, and she said something. Now, she speaks like she's deaf. Um, she doesn't project, and she doesn't enunciate clearly, because why would you bother if nobody ever listens to you? Mm-hmm. And she still does. We can't, we can't figure out how to get her to project better. Um, but so she said something and I couldn't understand her. And so I kind of half turned. I wasn't even facing her and I was on the other side of the room. So it's not a case of like, I turned too quick. Um, and I just kind of turned it and I said, what? And she literally ducked and covered, you oh. know, I, it, like a defensive stance uh-huh. and, and did for months and months. If you asked her a question, she would burst into tears or she would hide or she would do like a, you know, like a military duck and cover kind of hmm. move. And it became clear that she was punished for asking questions. Oh. And, and she didn't know how to ask them. So, you know, try to imagine a two and three year old who didn't ask any questions. Yeah, that's hard to imagine. <sighs> so this is what we got, you know, and so we've got to work with it. And it's a different kid. It's totally different parenting. Mm-hmm. Wow. I I'm so glad that you were there and like it's such a huge responsibility to take on especially when you weren't the one that planned for it you know this this woman (laughs) just decided that she was gonna have a kid and then two weeks later whatever she decides Mm -hmm. she doesn't want it anymore like just it's so good that that you were willing to take on that huge responsibility. Yeah. Because who knows where she would have ended up. Just, wow. I think I know. I mean, I think I know. So, you know, I don't want to go into that, but yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, I think I, I think it would not have been good. So, I mean, she's, she's a trooper. She's the strongest kid I know. She's survived things I can't think about. Like, I won't read her DCF report. Mm-hmm. Um, I could get it, but... I don't need to know that stuff in detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just a trooper, you know? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, she, all of the things, all of the weird quirks about her that make me just fucking insane sometimes, like, <laughs> those are, those are survival skills. 
like you learn not to speak really loud if people don't want you to talk. You learn not to ask questions. She was sort of raised that pink is the only thing girls like. And she still now struggles with, like, if you give her a choice in a store, she makes a beeline for pink every time. And it's in a very toddler way. You know, I don't know how to describe it, but she's sort of like a three-year-old in a lot of ways. Um, But she's so smart. And she's, like, okay, so one one of the things she does that just makes you crazy, like, I hate it so much, is she stares. (laughs) She'll just stare at you. And it's in, like, a... It's in like a horror movie way. You know, like in The Shining when the girls just stand there and stare. That's what she do. Like, wow. <laughs> she, so she just looks, she just stares. And it makes me crazy because I'm like, stop it. And she hates it if you do it to her. Yeah. You know, so it's not a case of her doing something consciously to be a, a jerk. Yeah. She just, it, it just and it's re, it, realizing that this is a, a survival skill for her. Like, she learned to be super observant at a very young age. Yeah, it's like kind of inquisitively. Well, it's more about, it's more like a soldier. Oh, just keeping on the watch. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You got to keep, and you you have to read the room at all times because that's how you know whether you're safe. Mm -hmm. You know, and we've had her um, almost five years. Mm. Wow. You know, she'll be seven in a a couple months. So, you know, four and a half years now. And she still does this stuff. So that's, that's hardwired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's about me recognizing, like, I have to unclench about that. I have to let it be okay that she does this thing that makes me crazy because it's a survival skill for her. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness she's in a nurturing home now where she can learn to use things that are hardwired into her as an asset, you know, instead of it ruining her life because... You know, I would imagine that in the future, that would be an advantage for her to be so observant. And You know, know, honestly, I feel like if we're lucky, we can kind of steer her toward, oh, nursing, maybe, or law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Or... There should, like, she doesn't have good people skills, so it wouldn't be, she, you know, she wouldn't be great, like, nursing on a floor, like a medical floor, but she'd do well in the ER, or she'd do well in, like, a recovery room. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement, she'd do well, very black and white, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Um, she'd do well in, like, a, not a front-end job, but a back-end job of some sort where you're not dealing with people, but you're doing something very methodically. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to, we're hoping we steer her that way instead of, she would also be a really good serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, ob- uh, the, the observance and she doesn't, uh, she doesn't bond well with people. She doesn't have an emotional connection with most people. And so that's to her benefit if she wants to be a serial killer and (laughs) you know like i just said about having a nurturing home (laughs) to steer in the right direction i'm hoping yeah (laughs) 